the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, kind sir, and a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome on board. Good to have you with us for another edition of Lifeline for this uh, Tuesday, the 18th of September. And uh, trust you're having a good day so far. We're going to keep you company right up until 7 o'clock tonight. A little bit later on in our first hour, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Jim Garlow. He's senior pastor at Skyline Church down in San Diego. He's been a guest on the show before. He's a good writer. And he's written a new book, Dealing with the Precarious Moment in Which America Finds Herself In. Um, I think you could agree that we are at a crossroads now if you look at what's going on politically in this country, spiritually in this country. Um, Some might even argue economically in this country. Um, It is clear that there are issues here that America is facing in the here and now that we've never seen before. And I'm not altogether sure we know how to handle them. We'll talk about some of the six urgent steps that all of us who are concerned about the future of our nation need to be thinking about, praying about, and engaging in to draw us back from the edge of this, well, what many consider to be a precipice um, in this uh, pivotal time in American history. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program. Also, Lieutenant Colonel Damon Friedman is going to join us. He is the founder of SOF Missions, a nonprofit organization that helps veterans. September is Suicide Prevention Month. And the alarming number of American veterans who take their own lives because they just simply can't deal with the stress of civilian life is staggering. How about 20 a day? Yeah. 20 veterans commit suicide every day in America. We need to talk about it. We need to understand it. We need to do something about it. Well, they'll do that a little bit later on in tonight's program. Right now, though, we lead off with, well, you're aware your kids are now back in school. Got a couple of solid weeks, maybe three weeks here nearly under belt. Perhaps they're coming home with some stories, some things that you're not altogether pleased with, and you've got some concerns about that. Well, to the rescue is the Pacific Justice Institute. Joining us now is the founder and president of Pacific Justice, Brad Dacus, counselor. Always great to have you with us. Always great to be on the show. Thank you, Craig. Let's talk about some of these new resources that you have available, and, and some of them resources that have been available through Pacific Justice Institute for a long time now, but there are some online tools that you are making available to parents for the first time that really helps them better understand not only what their children's rights are, but what their rights are as parents with children enrolled in public schools. Tell us more about that. Oh, yes. Uh, we have a, a number of, of uh, valuable resources that, that can really help parents uh, with kids in, in school. Uh, one of them, I want to say right off the bat, is our, our opt-out forms. Uh, this is so valuable uh, to put school districts on notice and, and for parents to really claim to their rights uh, to opt their children out of 
presentations, uh, lectures, materials that uh, they don't want their child exposed to and that violate their beliefs and convictions. Uh, that is one of our, our hottest things that parents are getting right now from our website. Uh, we also have a book called Reclaim Your School, and, uh, and it's also a very valuable resource as well uh, to uh, allow students to know what their rights are, to be proactive and really make a difference uh, in, their, in their school. And we even have something for college students to help them. Uh, it's called the, uh, it's sort of like the Constitution of, of College Rights, um, and that's really equipping as well for, for college students of faith to, uh, to, to know what their rights with regard to harassment, belittlement, um, uh, denied opportunities to, to live their faith, share their faith, etc. So we have a lot of great resources. There are growing concerns, particularly amongst parents here in California, over the um, paranoid manner in which the state has been addressing the issue of gender dysphoria, uh, almost in a panic fashion that uh, they would act as if it, it, it affects 75% of the population. We know that in terms of the number of children that deal with the issue, it's a minuscule amount, and I don't say that to be little, it's just a fact, it's a point of reality. But the response by the state to this has far-reaching implications. What of this issue, parents who say, wait a minute, you mean to tell me there is a chance under state law, that my son or daughter could be exposed to uh, children of the opposite sex in places like the bathroom or the shower or locker room, what traditionally had been uh, very clearly divided between the two genders, now all of a sudden seeing this gray area that comes under the so-called transgender banner. What of that topic? Beg your pardon? And would you, the last part? So, so what of that? What, what, what would you tell parents concerned with that issue? Oh, yes. Um, well, parents need to know um, their rights, and they need to uh, put the school district on notice uh, that, um, you know, that, uh, that they don't approve of their child uh, to, uh, to be in the same locker room or bathroom with someone of the opposite biological sex. Uh, and if that happens where the child's rights are violated in that regard, uh, the parents need to contact us immediately so we can represent them uh, without charge. Uh, we can't bring a case without clients, and uh, that's, that's so uh, so important and, um, and for that, that equipping to take place. And again, a lot of the information pertaining to your rights as a parent are now available through the Pacific Justice website at pji.org. That's pacificjustice.org or pji.org. Um, also, you speak of cases. I understand that you have a new office that is open to the north of us in Washington State. Well, we certainly do, Craig, um, and we're so excited about it. Uh, it's right up there in, it's in between uh, Seattle and Tacoma, the state capital. Uh, you know, we've already just opened an office in uh, Oregon and uh, in Salem, Oregon, and we're really excited about that. Uh, but this is a new one up there, and you know, both states, Oregon and Washington, have, we have so many cases. Uh, ongoing, taking place now. Um, it's, it's an area where there's just a lot of need for protection of, of parental rights, religious freedom, uh, churches, ministries, people of faith in schools, etc., uh, that we're uh, taking this, this very bold step to, uh, to put a full-time attorneys in both uh, locations. And, you know, historically, those of us that have spent most of our lives 
or all of our lives in California, we would think, well, of the West Coast, the one state where you need to have a major presence is California because most of the craziest things that go on morally and legally take place in California. Oh, no. Au contraire. We have plenty of competition from our neighbors to the north in both Oregon and Washington, uh, both very liberal-leaning states, in some ways even more so than California. And so the presence of a Pacific Justice Institute both in Oregon and in Washington State critically important, and I would urge you that uh, are appreciative of the work of Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute to uh, certainly consider uh, supporting them not only with your prayers, but supporting them financially as well. Um, It's a big job. It's an important job. And ultimately, they help to defend all of our rights as citizens and conservatives or people of faith. So we appreciate uh, the ongoing work, Brad, and keeping us also apprised of what's going on in and around the state of California here of, of interest to listeners in a greater Northern California area of KFAX. And again, uh, for parents that want to get more information about uh, any of these resources related to uh, children and their rights in the public classroom, just go to the website. Yes, go to the website, and, uh, and at the very top, they'll have, like, a you click uh, Get Help or Resources, and uh, you'll scroll through that, and you'll find all kinds of very helpful things and ways to, uh, to protect your, your, your family, your children, and, and uh, I, I highly recommend it. And it's, and it's all without charge, just like all of our legal representation. Thanks to the uh, supporters of many people listening to this program. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Uh, Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And uh, you often hear Brad throughout the broadcast day here on KFAX in his uh, uh, daily legal minutes. So we appreciate uh, the good work that he does and uh, partnership over many, many years here with KFAX. 515 on the clock. We're going to step aside, get you updated on some traffic here. Michael Bennett's got the latest for you from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the program. You know, back during World War II, most of the troops that came home that seemed a little challenged, a little off in some ways, both for veterans of World War II and Korea, I suppose. We refer to them as being shell-shocked, just the experience of being on the the battlefield. Vietnam, things took on a little bit of a different uh, viewpoint. It was Vietnam vet syndrome. Uh, We saw high degrees of drug and alcohol abuse, although oftentimes that was sort of dismissed as also being a product of the culture and the times. I think, though, we've begun to mature a bit and understand more about the difficulties faced by returning soldiers, that it's not just a major career change. It's not finding their place back in society as a civilian or finding a job that matches the skills that they learn while in the military. But it's also understanding the profound impact that many of their battlefield and service experiences have on them emotionally. Certainly since the Gulf War and up to more present times in the Iraq and Afghanistan engagements, we've come to understand more about post-traumatic stress disorder. And while we understand it, it doesn't change the fact that for an average 20 service persons a day reach that breaking point and take their own life. Joining me now with some insights on this is Lieutenant Colonel Damon Friedman, He is the founder of SOF Missions, 
a nonprofit organization aimed at helping many of these veterans. He's also the executive producer of a new film called Surrender Only to One. And Lieutenant Colonel Friedman, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, brother. I greatly appreciate just being on the show and just talking about this issue that most Americans have no idea about. When you shared over 20 veterans take their lives every single day, I, I'm telling you right now, your audience, the people that are listening to you, that should be a, that should be a shock to them. And it's uh, definitely something we need to talk about. But more importantly, how we can provide a solution to these men and women who have gone, conducted the nation's bidding, and they've, you know, they've, they've, they've sacrificed just about everything. So thank you, brother. I greatly appreciate being on the show. Well, we appreciate you helping to um, better educate all of us on this topic. You know, at the end of the day, a part of this, I think we, we just need to think more about it. We need to be better informed. Uh, it's always struck me odd how that we will take uh, young men who are still growing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, um, in, in every way, uh, outfit them and equip them and train them for battle, put them off into the battlefield and allow them to experience things that most of us have never even come as close than the TV set and a movie experience to even begin to imagine what they're like and then come back and try to reintegrate themselves back into civilian life as if all of these experiences and things that they've seen and, and, and been involved with in a tour of duty can somehow be shut off just like a switch. I guess at the end of the day, it's really true that the soldier can leave the battlefield, but in many respects, the battlefield never leaves the soldier. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that, because every warrior, when they deploy, they process combat differently. Most Americans don't realize that over 2.7 million men and women have deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, historically, it was just our men going out there and doing the nation's bidding, but now even women are going out and doing the nation's bidding. What does it look like when they come home? Just think about it. Most people don't realize that, you know, the average deployment is about six months, but even in the Army and the Navy, guys and gals are gone for a year. A year! I mean, they're out there, they're separated from their families, they're separated from their loved ones, and they're going out and they're doing some extraordinary things, but when they come back, I mean, what does that look like when they're trying to reintegrate into regular society? You know, their old norm. Most people don't realize that they're just not going to be the same, and there's a struggle, and there's a friction within the family, within their friends. Why is this person different all of a sudden? The answer is, is well, they've been out there in a, you know, in, in, in a chaotic environment. They've been separated from their loved ones. And they're just different now. And the real question is, is how different are they? And how are they going to adapt to the everyday norm? And, of course, that's, that's an important question because, again, there's, there's a bit of a fundamental disconnect. We, we think that sending them off to war is sometimes the equivalent of sending them off to college. They're just someplace else. It's a different zip code that requires a passport, but everything is the same. And it's not unusual for soldiers to come back and, and having seen and experienced things that are so horrifying that they try to, in their own way, stuff it, 
silenced themselves. They've been trained to be strong and to be dedicated. They've served their country well, so they never want to come back and say it was more than they could handle emotionally because that would be perceived as a sign of weakness. And yet in reality, uh, we're oftentimes talking about young kids who are just beginning to reach a stride in life. They're just beginning to kind of figure out who they are, let alone to have to process these kinds of experiences that certainly would be difficult at any age, but particularly for a young person who's inexperienced and then when there's not the kind of support that they need to help them deal with these feelings and emotions and what have you, uh, it, it really becomes, I guess, for them oftentimes um, uh, a cry of help when you see such startling numbers, 20 a day. That's 20 too many. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's really unfortunate because uh, many, I, I look at the veteran community as an unreached people group. You know, there's all sorts of um, uh, faith-based organizations, churches, and they're they're out there and they're trying to reach um, third world countries. They're trying to reach um, even our organization. When we first stood up, we we one of our first missions were was into the Amazon, connected with the unreached people group called the Quimbolas. But it wasn't until a handful of years later, as we were doing international mission work, building orphanages conducting, you know, helping with disaster relief, massive food distribution, and just doing medical uh, clinics across the world, we started realizing, like, hey, we need to, and it was a bunch of veterans doing this. We we looked at each other and said, we need to go back to America, and we need to go out and help out these veterans because here's the deal. They're kind of an isolated community, and a lot of people don't know how to connect with that community, and a lot of believers are trying to contextualize this message of hope that is, is grounded in Christ, but they don't know how to connect with them. And so we just decided, you know what, these, these guys and these gals, they're very isolated. We deal with thousands of them every single day, helping out thousands of veterans every single day, and we're just trying to connect and communicate this message of hope. Now, you, you shared something that was very interesting. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that over 20 veterans are taking their lives every single day. America, that is catastrophic. And it is an epidemic. It's a suicide epidemic. But what we need to do is we need to understand this situation. We need to understand this, 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 this critical issue amongst our American community. And we need to be able to connect and be able to join forces and provide a solution in order to bring this message of hope of Christ in their lives so that at the end of the day, when they're in dark, dark times, they know that regardless of all of humanity— that if, if, if it seems like nobody's there at all, whether their friends have ad- abandoned them, their families have abandoned them, that they know without a shadow of a doubt that the God of the universe knows them by name. He loves them. He cares for them. And he has a future of hope. I mentioned about the fact that you're also a film producer and you have put together uh, this presentation, Surrender Only to One. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what we wanted to do was, in our organization, SOF Missions, uh, is we wanted to, we we stood up three major pillars, and the first one was to create awareness. And the way that we create awareness is through film. And what we wanted to do was um, create this Hollywood-like movie, this quality movie called Surrender Only to One, and we've won national and international film festival awards it's about six operators going to combat six operators 
It's the Marine Corps, the Navy SEALs, uh, Army Special Forces, uh, Air Force Special Tactics, they're elite, going to war, uh, going out, closing with, killing bad guys, doing the nation's bidding, freeing the oppressed, you know, out there in the Middle East and all sorts of other crazy places in the world, but then coming back home and then dealing with the implications of combat. These stories are raw. I know the major- most of them, uh, of the six, I'm very close with four of those six. And I'll tell you that we start dealing with isolation, dealing with physical abuse, uh, you know, dealing with alcoholism, dealing with suicidal ideations, dealing with feeling insignificant. I mean, it goes on and on and on, and these crazy stories, and, then, and they're self-destructing. Even dealing with black rage, just waking up and your entire house is completely decimated. And we're just trying to, and they're like, okay, so if, if, if I have obviously something wrong with me, and I just, I'm at this point where I'm not quite sure what my purpose is, and I'm not quite sure if, if, I, if it's worth living. But then every one of these stories, as they're in dire need of hope, how Jesus, the commander of the universe, conducts a quick reaction force, conducts the ultimate saving mission, extracts each warrior out of the kill zone and how every one of these warriors finds hope. It's totally awesome. It's only an hour long. We made it so that churches, nonprofit, uh, nonprofits, um, organizations, even small groups can just watch it, and it's really awesome, and it has an atomic impact. So we're really excited about it. We just showed it on 9-11, and it had an extraordinary impact, and we're just so grateful for the quality and, and what we're doing with it across the nation. Folks would like to get more information about uh, both the uh, the film, Surrender Only to One, uh, or about many of the projects that are taking place as part of SOF Missions, uh, this nonprofit organization that is aimed at helping veterans. You can go online to get more information, sofmissions.com. That's sofmissions.com. Our thanks to Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Damon Friedman, for being with us today. Thank you, too, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, for your service to our nation. We appreciate your good work here as well. And again, point folks in the direction of the website for more information at sofmissions.com, sofmissions.com. 5.32, we get caught up on traffic. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation 535 here on this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. You know, if you watch the news, pay attention to what passes as entertainment these days, observe our culture up front or even from a distance, or simply engage with those around you, especially younger generations such as millennials. And if you read the word with any degree of regularity, then I think you know that America is at a tipping point, a crossroads, really. In the balance, is the future of our nation morally, politically, societally, and certainly spiritually? Almost every aspect of American life, the very future of our nation, the soul of our nation, is at this critical crossroads. And while many of us recognize that we are there, the question is, what road ultimately will America take? 
And in these perilous times, at this precarious moment, what can those of us who are aware of what's going on around us do to help tip things in the right direction, to better assure that America will take the right road and not the pathway to destruction? This precarious moment, the title of a brand new book written by my next guest, he is the senior pastor of Skyline Church in San Diego, and along with our buddy, prayer partner, and church historian David Barton, has penned a new book, This Precarious Moment, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Our Country. And Dr. Jim Garlow, great to have you back on the program. Thank you. A joy to be with you, my friend. So, Pastor Jim, this is certainly, as I delineate, uh, an issue that I think many of us are aware of. We can see all of these trends. We can look back 5, 10, 15 years and say things today are not as they were then, and we are fearful of where America seems to be headed, crawling perilously close to the edge of this precipice seemingly day by day. And yet the big... The big overarching question, I guess, and the one that you would attempt to answer inside of the book is, recognizing we're here at this tipping point, what do we do to make sure that America doesn't literally fall off the edge into the abyss? Well, very awesome paragraph you have just shared right there. Uh, It was in the end of 2016 after a contentious election that I really felt nudged by God that the church was going to need to address quickly four different things, not just the Trump administration, which was coming into power, but the Church of Jesus Christ was going to address four things, and and we really had a short window of time to do that. This won't surprise anybody, these four things, because I think most discerning Christians are fully aware of them, but just to delineate them, number one, see racial healing occur. Uh, a second one is see the immigration issue resolved in a way that is biblical and scriptural as near as we can understand the Word of God. The third thing is to see a change in thinking and renewal and revival among millennials. And then the fourth thing uh, was to see a proper establishment of the relationship with our own country and Israel. We have seen enormous strides forward on that fourth issue. We have not seen any strides forward. It wouldn't appear on the first three. We did add in two more issues, and that is really coming to understand once again the Judeo-Christian foundation of our nation, which is just historically overwhelming. And then the last one, we not surprisingly, as a pastor, I added this one, but David Barton, my co-author, felt as strong as I did, and that is for the Church to rise up and start acting like the Church. And I can just say one more thing that sort of sets up what you, what you so, so profoundly that is, we are coming to a time, we have churches for the first time that have an attendance up to as high as 70,000 evangelical in, in a single church. We have Christian publishers that are the largest ever, Christian radio networks, the biggest ever, Christian TV, the biggest ever, Christian publishing, the, the biggest ever. We've never seen anything like this, and yet our nation is going to hell. I just spoke, uh, I just got home from speaking at a pastor's conference, went two days up in Orange County, Los Angeles area two days in San Diego last week, and I posed these questions every time. I said, pastors, how many of you pastor a community where your community is more righteous than it was 25 years ago? And I've never had anybody raise their hand, because we're aware that we're in a very crisis moment, and we identify in this book some very specific ways that we can respond. We don't have to throw up our hands, but specific ways we can respond to these macro issues. 
Let me start with that list working backwards. And I, and I do that, Dr. Garlow, intentionally, because at the end of the day, if the church isn't accountable to God and for her actions, if, if that judgment doesn't begin in the house of the Lord, then our ability to move the needle, our ability to be effective at these other five points, I think, diminishes greatly. Uh, we see a church, and you've alluded to this, that is in many respects a mile wide, but whose spiritual maturity is an inch deep. And I wonder how much of this trend that we are seeing today, the the fact that the church tends to reflect more of the culture than influence the culture, is due directly to a pulling back from the foundations of biblical truth, um, the, the quite frankly, the, the, the shuttling of the notion of biblical inerrancy, and an alarming degree of biblical illiteracy. I mean, not only do I find people who self-identify as evangelical Christians misquoting Scripture, it's not surprising every now and then to hear somebody from the pulpit who's misquoting Scripture. So is this kind of foundational to getting our house together in order to help move these other five key points? Yes, you're exactly right. In fact, David and I in the book, we question whether the term evangelical can survive. Does it have meaning anymore? We hardly get through a week without hearing of some major evangelical figure or some institution capitulating to the culture. We use the term in the book ABC, authentically biblical Christians, or authentically biblical uh, churches, or authentically biblical Christian colleges. Uh, Probably the most jolting summary of what we're facing uh, I was actually up in your part of the country, in Northern California. I was in the Bay Area. I was sitting with George Barna in conversation, a well-known pollster. This was in 2013, late 2013. And he said, I- I'm going to put something out public that I just discovered. And I could tell by the look on his face he, he was he was a bit distraught. And I'm going to round the numbers off to make it easy for us to remember this. But he, he had interviewed, of course, at the Barna organization. I mean, George Barna himself was part of United in Purpose, was calling five, 600 churches in the course of the day. Uh, for, for long spans of time. And he discovered that 90% of pastors agreed that the Bible speaks to the social and political, cultural issues of our day. 90%. But when they were asked later in the same survey, have you spoken out or will you speak out on those issues that the Bible speaks out on as it relates to the cultural issues of our day, 90% said, no, I will not. Now that that right there summarizes the core of the problem. There's 384,000 churches that's believed in America. 72% of those don't identify with Scripture, believing in Scripture, the authenticity, inerrancy of Scripture. So we're down to 28%. That's about 100,000. Barnum would tell us 100,000 churches call themselves Bible-believing churches. I was once speaking in Santa Barbara, and I was asked the question, how many of the 100,000 actually have a bona fide biblical worldview? There was what I call biblical applicationalism. They apply scripture to all of life, including the cultural uh, dimensions, including governmental aspects. And I, I said, well, I, I hope I hope there's 30,000 of them, but I don't think so. I think it's more like 15,000. And then I realized, I said, oh, my goodness, I shouldn't answer this. Uh, before me speaking was George Barn. I turned to George. I said, George, you're the expert on this. Of the 100,000, how many have a biblical worldview? And it got so quiet when he said, best as we can tell, somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 churches, that's of the 28%, actually have a bona fide biblical worldview. And therein is the problem. It's an absence of the Word of God applied to 
not just personal life, not just family life, not just church life, but community and governmental life. And when we apply the Word of God, we have a vast reduction in human suffering, human pain, and in poverty. Detroit, in 1960, was one of the most desirable cities of the entire world. Bad policies, anti-scriptural policies, destroyed that city. Fifty years later, it looked like it had been bombed out. The absence of the Word of God applied from the pulpits of America is the core of the problem. And, of course, the, the sad irony here is that this is really a pandemic. It goes across institutions. It's not simply to lay blame at the feet of the church. We see this in government. We see it in schools. I had Dr. Everett Piper on the program a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the fact that you can no longer identify schools even by their names anymore. And back in the day, you could say Christian college or university. You generally knew who they were, what they stood for. Many of these schools, sadly, today, they'll stand on history. They'll stand on reputation. They'll stand on their endowments, the one thing that they're failing to stand on is Scripture. So I suppose when we see that foundation being eroded away at every level of public life, schools, government, and certainly within the church, uh, is it any wonder then that we find ourselves in the moral and spiritual predicament that we're in? People are um, so afraid of being considered on the wrong side of history that they fail to get on the right side of eternity. Or pastor, I know Everett Piper extremely well, the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I serve on his board. I've known him uh, ever since he began serving there, and he's a very close friend, and he is perhaps one of the best spokesmen on the topic we're, we're talking about right now. But in the, in the, in, I, I happen to speak from a pastor's perspective, and we'll see pastors say, well, I, I, just, I just preach Jesus only. Now, that, that sounds really impressive. That sounds good. I present Jesus every Sunday. I have people receive Christ as Savior and Lord, last Sunday in my services, and I, I hope I do every every Sunday. That's that's the desire. So it's the sound of I preach Jesus only. Sounds so good on the surface. But what they failed to do is preach what Jesus preached. He, he preached the kingdom. The kingdom means there's a king. I've had the privilege, because I, I serve on a particular board, I've had the privilege of meeting with heads of state of a number of countries recently, and with prime ministers and some presidents, and, and I got to meet with a king not too long ago. And it was shocking to me to be with somebody who didn't face re-election. This was a, a king, a king of the nation. I'd never met a king before in person. But Jesus is king, as a kingdom. That applies to every aspect of life. I, I had a pastor turn to me once and said, uh, Jim, I'm not political like you. I looked at him and I said, you know, my, my problem with you is not that you're not political. My problem is you're not biblical. I said, let me give you an illustration. If I was a slave on a plantation, and it was 1850, would I want my slave owner to go to your church or to mine? If I was a baby in the womb of a 14-year-old girl who lived close to Planned Parenthood, would I want that girl to go to your church or to mine? They want to come to mine because they know they would hear the full application of Scripture, the governmental issues, as well as every aspect of life. And that is the great lack. Pastors are afraid of losing their 501c3, which is really something to hide behind it that's it's ludicrous. They're afraid of, of course, the Johnson Amendment. The fact is, thousands of pastors have mailed in their sermons to the IRS violating the Johnson Amendment, and the IRS has never sued a single person nor taken away a single a single tax exempt status from anybody uh, saying something in the pulpit. Never happened. The pastors use that type of excuse. Or they'll say, well, I don't want to thin those in the pew. I want to reach them with the gospel. Now, I understand the heart of that. That, at its surface, sounds good. 
The problem is, what are we producing? What are we producing? We can see the statistics, and Barna once again it brings us this painful realistic that only only 8% of the people in our pews actually have a biblical worldview. 92% don't. He dropped the millennials, 4%. So 96% do not have a biblical worldview setting in our pews today in churches. How is that working out for us? The answer is we're not discipling people in the depth, the breadth, and the glory, and the power of the Bible and the Scriptures. And I think more troubling than that, not just the state of what's happening in our pulpits and pews in America today, but you touch on this, and I want to dive into it a bit deeper after a brief time out. You you specifically call out millennials, and I think that's important because we find ourselves at this precipice, here at this precarious moment, not just simply having our children and young people questioning what is truth. I mean, it's probably healthy that they engage in that uh, iron sharpening iron and asking questions about the origins of man and who is God and, and, and what is my relationship to him. But we've come to a point where young people today aren't questioning what is truth. They're questioning if there is truth. Or do we all have our own universal version of truth that's unique to each and every one of us. And therefore, by all having the truth, well, I suppose ultimately that means none of us have it. Let's take a time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation and look at this precarious moment, six urgent steps that will save you, your family, and our country. The book newly released by Salem Books and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also order directly through Salem Books. And the publisher, by the way, is the same great folks that own this fine radio station. We take a brief time out. We come back to more of our conversation with Dr. Jim Garlow, senior pastor of Skyline Church San Diego and co-author of This Precarious Moment as Lifeline continues. All right, let's see how uh, rough and precarious traffic might be out there. It was kind of a bear earlier today. Let's see if the ride back home is any better. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There's a famous song penned back in the 1930s by Cole Porter. And the, the lyrics incl- include phraseology such as today, black is white, white is black, bad is good, good is bad, and anything goes. That's the title of the song. And certainly seems to describe the juncture at which we find ourselves at, this tipping point where America is, where everything seems to be just exactly backwards from where it ought to be from God's perfect design for his creation. And we're discussing this topic today with Dr. Jim Garlow, senior pastor at Skyline Church in San Diego. He, along with David Barton have co-authored this new book, This Precarious Moment, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Our Country. And Dr. Garlow, I, I called out the fact that you focus uniquely within the book on some of the roles of uh, helping to right the ch- ship of state, so to speak, uh, that lie before millennials. This is perhaps the first full generation that is not only questioning what truth is, but questioning that truth is. How do we go about reaching them? Well, we, when we came to this part of our, our book, we uh, had a millennial heavily involved with us in the writing, and then we had a group of millennials involved in the research and effectively focus groups. 
the, the things that are, let me start with the encouraging things and the kind of the tough news later, which probably most of us know. And the encouraging news is they do seem to have a higher respect for life than the previous generation. So on the abortion issue, we actually have made tremendous strides forward. They do have a sense of the injustice of human trafficking, so they are, they rally around that. They do respond well relationally. If you uh, if you approach generally one on one, there is a oftentimes a father wound or a brokenness. Many of them come from broken homes, a high number of them. And so, if you if you start in those places, that gives some some reason for encouragement. Now, the tough news is they reject almost every other value we hold to you. You can't start with a sermon with the assuming that they are going to believe that just because you're reading from the Bible, it has meaning. Uh, we certainly know on sexuality, the research is overpowering. Uh, some on any issue. Uh, it would be 72% would believe in cohabitation. Uh, three out of four uh, believe that homosexuality is morally acceptable. Eight out of ten uh, believe that, that homosexual marriage should be fine. Uh, two-thirds actually see gender as a fluid issue rather than fixed. Now, you would think, surely, scientific evidence will eventually catch up with that one. And as they grow older, what, what we've always counted on in the past was people to get married, uh, have a baby, graduate from at least from high school, but you know, from college, and then get married and then have a baby. Uh, and in that sequence, and that tends to domesticate the males, and that's when people start, once they pay their first mortgage, they have something they want to conserve and some values they want to conserve, though they may have dropped out of church at 18. Uh, now they're 26 and married with a baby and a mortgage payment, and they want to conserve certain things, and they find themselves actually looking for a church and some values that they walked away from. But even that is not happening. Uh, 59% of millennials have never married. Uh, the marriage, marriageable age is pushing back rapidly. Adolescence is being extended for unbelievably long spans of time. Many of them still live with parents, highly dependent upon parents. So the natural maturation process we've counted on has not been there for them to come to their senses in that sense. My, as near as I can tell, my grandfather was financially independent at age 12, my father was financially independent, it seems to me, at about 15. Uh, I was financially independent, at, 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 for all practical purposes, at, at 21. Uh, but now financial independence is postponed extremely long periods of times, and sometimes people in their 50s are moving back in with mom and dad. So what do we have going for us in this horrific situation we face? It, it, I, I know this sounds so simplistic. But in each one of these macro problems, we take a micro solution so the average reader is not discouraged and overwhelmed and just say, I can't do anything. And that is, they actually are open. They're very relationally inclined. They're not institutionally loyal at all. Their relationship struck up with a millennial, uh, they can, and when done one at a time, they can respond really quite good. And so we encourage our readers, as they work through this whole section on millennials, to put tremendous effort moving out of their comfort zone and establishing a relationship to try to get the generations interacting so we can see the promise of the close of Malachi that fulfilled when the fathers, not just literally birth fathers, but the fathers, the hearts of their children, the children are the hearts of, of their fathers. The real key here, I think the takeaway, is that while, yes, any of these issues seemingly are complex, they are involved, they are multifaceted, but... 
they're all solvable problems, whether we're talking about dealing with a racial divide, immigration policy, the challenges of uh, pulling and drawing millennials back into the church, uh, the critical role that not only has Israel played historically, but prophetically as well, the reclamation of our Christian heritage as a nation, and then ultimately the turning of the tide so that the church moves from being influenced by the culture to instead influencing the culture. These are all key steps. Again, complex but solvable problems, and this new book walks you through each and every one of them and then allows you to have that takeaway of what can I do to be engaged to help make a difference? What can I do in this precarious moment to help pull our nation back from the precipice? The book, This Precarious Moment, Six Urgent Steps That Will Save You, Your Family, and Our Country, newly published by Salem Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Our thanks to its co-author, our guest on this edition of Lifeline, Dr. Jim Garlow, Senior Pastor at Skyline Church in San Diego. And Pastor Garlow, always a delight to have you on the program. 601, we're a bit late. Let's get caught up on a little bit of business here. We're going to get a look at some headline news. First, though, let's do some traffic. Get you home on this Tuesday. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.